Thank you, Bell. Thank you, Bell. Well, good morning, church. Come on now. Well, guess who's back in the building? Come on now. <laughs> yes. Yes, my partner in crime. I don't know why I'm getting all emotional. <laughs> I missed you, man. I missed you. Yeah, I got that text from you this morning, and it just kind of all flooded in. I missed you. And uh, I am in so many ways who I am as a pastor because I've walked alongside you all these years. I'm grateful to the Lord for you. And Gene, you are a song to the soul. Uh, you hit places and spaces that only Gene can hit. And I uh, just miss that. And team one and team two, what's up, y'all? What's up? It's good guys to have you back, man. Look at Jackson. He's doing well. Amen. That is an answer to our prayers. Amen. It really is. Amen. 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 So we're just so grateful that they're back with us at this time. All right, well, church, we're going to get right back into it. Uh, as we've been in our series with uh, spiritual warfare, we've been talking about the schemes of the devil and the armor of God. And so with that, we are going to continue. And just to give kind of an overview as we've been walking along, the desire and the passion has been that we be aware of an area that so many times we ignore, not only in our lives, but in the church at large. And it is the unseen. And we talked about the fact that the desire for the devil in everybody's life, and especially us as believers, is to get a tapas. Tapas, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, means what? To get a what? A place. An internal space where he can come to bring division, influence, a foothold in your life in some way, shape, or form. And he does that on two different types of soil. And we saw that consistently throughout scripture. He uses his ability to try to get an influence through our traumatic events and also through our over-desires. When we find ourselves in these unfulfilled desires in our heart, or when we find ourselves in these times of suffering, that's prime time for Satan to attempt to come in and gain a foothold. And he targets primarily the mind. For unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4.4, and for believers as well, we constantly saw him going after our mind. And Dallas Wheeler breaks down the mind when, he comes to, when it comes to false ideas and false images. He wants you to think differently about who you are in Christ and your particular situation, and he put, wants to put images in front of you that are contrary to the images that God wants you to see. Because if he can do that, then ultimately he can find a foothold. And ultimately move you into sin. And the longer he can keep you in sinful darkness, the longer he can keep you in a bondage that does not belong to you in Jesus. And so what does Paul tell us the response ought to be? Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you might be able to stand. And so we continue in this series, and the question becomes for us today is, what discipline does God gift us with in order to deploy the armor, in order to actually ultimately use this armor, what does he use to deploy the armor? If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 18. 
And when you get there, if you could please stand with me for the reading of God's word out of honor and respect. And I just want to remind us, I just want to remind every single one of us, this is not a simple event. This is not one day on the calendar of many. We are in the presence of the almighty God. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Thus is the reading of the inerrant, inspired, authoritative, divine word of the living God. God, we come before you right now. And God, we thank you that we have victory in you. That because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we have hope, redemption, peace, and contentment. They belong to us in you. God, will you help us to walk in that reality in greater depth today? God, will you come against every evil force that wants to keep us from what you have for us in Jesus? And God, we come against the evil one right now. We put you on notice. We are redeemed by his blood. We are forgiven in him. We have an inheritance in the heavens, and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which means you are a defeated foe. You have no place. And so we command you even now, remove your influence from this house, because this place with those in it who are in Christ belong to him. And God, we pray, do your freeing work. Free those who have yet to come to see you as Christ and King and Lord. And free, Lord God, us up that do know you in areas, Lord God, where we've given the devil a place. And we pray this, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So what discipline does God give us in order to allow for us to actually deploy all of the other aspects of the armor? And we see that theme constantly in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The, the discipline that deploys the armor in the life of the believer is prayer but notice I'm not going to say just prayer. It's prayer and watching. Or should I say it's watchful prayer? Now remember, and I want you to see this in the text. In verse 10, Paul tells us, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Everybody say stand. And so then in verse 13, he repeats himself, therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what's that word, y'all, stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, verse 14, what do you do? Stand. And so what we see is, is Paul is now articulating 
what it looks like for us to stand against the onslaught of the evil one. And so he breaks it down starting at verse 14. You stand, so that's your imperative. It's the imperative of the text. The text is stand. Well, the question is, is how do you go about doing that? He then uses a series of what are called participles or verbs that describe the imperative. And so how do you supposed to stand? You stand by fastening. That's the first participle. The belt of truth. You stand by putting on the breast of breastplate of righteousness. You stand, verse 15, by putting on the readiness of the gospel. Verse 16, you stand by taking up the shield of faith. You stand by, verse 17, taking up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So now we have the final participle describing what it looks like for us to stand against the onslaught of the evil one, and it is stand by praying and where it says to keep alert and by keeping alert. So it's not just praying, it's praying with an alertness. Now, before I go into that, the question I ask is, is why do I say that this, the discipline of prayer uh, and watching or keeping alert deploys the armor? Here's what I want to first want you to notice in verse 18. If you will, I want you to see verse 18 as undergirding or holding up the rest of the other pieces of the armor. And here's why I say that. First, notice there's no military metaphor attached to verse 18. All of a sudden, Paul just stops giving the metaphor. Secondarily, what we see here is what's called an inclusio. What do I mean by that? It's kind of like a sandwich. At the very beginning of this, Paul says in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Well, the question is, is how do we live in that strength? Well, the way we live in that strength is prayer. Because what is prayer? It is an admission of my weakness and God's strength and the need that I have before him. So we have an inclusio here. The third thing, verse 18, what's interesting is, verse 18 is in the present tense. While all the other aspects of the participle, starting in verse 14, uh, in, is all in the aorist, or what's called the past tense. The other reason why I say that prayer is the thing that undergirds all of the rest of the armor is that if you could read it in the Greek, Paul is using alliteration. And so you hear this, if you were to read it in the Greek, he's constantly repeating it with the sound of P, the pi, if you will, in the Greek. So it's like passe, prosuke, panti, passe, prosuke, sai. It's just constant, but he's just trying to explode the reality of what prayer ought to be in light of all of the areas of you using the armor. And then lastly, he uses prayer and petition four times in one verse. He has taken a lot of effort to get us to hone in on the significance of prayer when it comes to our role in coming against the evil one in our lives. And he says here, with all prayer and supplication, you see that in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And when he says with all, that means every conceivable form of prayer. And I don't, maybe sometime myself and Pastor James will go through kind of a series on the different forms of prayer. But just to name some of them, there are things like the Lord's Prayer, things like prayers of intention, prayers of recollection. What I'm going to talk about today is the prayer of examine or prayers of petition and intercession. There are prayers of lament. 
There are speaking in tongues, which is an angelic prayer. There's Paul's prayers that we see in Ephesians, right? The two prayers in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. So he's, he's saying all kinds of prayers is what we are to be involved in if we're ultimately going to experience the kind of release from the foothold of the devil that he wants to get in our lives. So I, it behooves us. We ought to learn how to pray. Amen. We ought to come to know what it looks like to pray. We ought to even come to know what it looks like to step into the different aspects or the forms of prayer. And when you look at these two prayers in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and 3, and I'm not going to read them entirely, but if you go through them, I encourage you this. Paul's prayer, if you look at both of them, are prayers for the power to fully be realized in the experience of the areas of the armor. He's praying about truth in Ephesians chapter 1 of verse 15. He's praying about faith. He's praying about hope. He's praying about being rooted and grounded in love in Ephesians chapter 3. And if you look at all of those themes in the two prayers in Ephesians, the armor enfolds itself into every single one of those aspects. So even here for the Ephesian church, in order for them to experience the freedom and deliverance that he wants them to, he's praying prayers that align with the armor. We see the prayer aspect and connection to the demonic throughout all of Scripture. One of the ones that we looked at was Daniel chapter 10. You guys remember that story, Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel was praying for 21 days. And as Daniel was praying, he's totally underwear that there's something going on behind the scenes. And as he's praying, there is a battle and there's a war that is taking place. And he doesn't find out until the very end when the angel shows up to Daniel. He says, I prayed, I heard you when you started from the beginning. But the prince of Persia, this demonic authority, was keeping me from ultimately getting to you that I might deliver to you the word of truth for God's people. Now, here's the reality. It's no accident in Daniel chapter 10 that the messenger said that his struggle with the prince of Persia lasted exactly the same time amount that Daniel was praying. 21 days. The reason for this is warfare was going on in the spiritual realm. When you get on your knees, when you do like this, it's war. Every time you go before the throne of grace, you are entering into a spiritual reality that is beyond the physical, that is having effect against the various things that are coming against you in your life. You cannot go without prayer and not experience and experience deliverance in your life at the same time. If you have a weak prayer life, the devil will be wearing you out top to bottom. We see the connection with prayer and the devil, not only in Daniel chapter 10, but in Luke chapter 22. When when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Satan wants to what? Sift you like wheat. Remember, he talked about the whole sifting thing, right? But what does Jesus say? But I, do you know what he said? Prayed for you. And that's where we saw the connection with faith. He prayed for his faith. But notice Jesus entered into prayer for Peter, and it gave effect with the principalities and powers behind the scenes. Another one, and you can turn there, is Mark chapter 9, where we see the demonic in prayer. 
Mark chapter 9. And here in Mark chapter 9, there's a boy with an unclean spirit. And Jesus goes to the father in verse 21 of chapter 9, and he asks him, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, you notice that doubt in there, if you can do anything. Look at Jesus' response. And Jesus said, if you can, what do you mean, if you can? Do you know who's standing in front of you right now? All things are possible for one who what? Believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? You see, the issue was is that right before this, the, 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 the disciples were trying to cast this demon out. But it wasn't budging. And so what does Jesus say in verse 29? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? Prayer. Last week, um, I had a dream, and I felt very strong demonic presence in our room. And I was stirring in my sleep, and I had a series of dreams regarding just a challenge and an issue that's going on in our family that's been present for years. And throughout the night, I wrestled. And there came a point where I was sleeping. And I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, Ray, this one only comes out by fasting and prayer. And I was like, and I was kind of unsure where that voice came from. And I just want to say this to some of you guys, which I'm going to say later um, a little bit. A lot of times, maybe we don't experience the supernatural because we're not willing to step into it. And God, through this series, has been really convicting me of the reality that I say a lot of things up here as far as what I believe, but I don't believe them here. But here's the reality, you guys. Our faith is a supernatural one. Virgin birth. Has that ever kind of like made y'all pause for a second? Resurrecting from the dead in three days? Has that made y'all kind of be like, hmm? Our faith is a supernatural one. So what I did that day is I just said, Lord, I'm not sure where this is coming from. I don't know what that means. I knew that was you. I'm just going to fast today and I'm going to pray. And so I fasted. And I prayed throughout the day. And then toward the end of the evening, I was talking to my wife. And I said, honey, this is kind of what happened to me today. Uh, and she looked at me and she said, this is crazy. Two days ago, I was walking to the door and I heard a voice tell me, Ruth, this one only comes out by fasting and prayer. And in that moment, there was a supernatural reality 
that there was something that we as a couple needed to be engaged in for the sake of this profound situation in our lives that's not going to move but by prayer. Here's the reality. There are certain demonic strongholds in your life that will not budge without prayer. I'm not talking about routine prayer. I'm talking about this reliant prayer. I'm talking about what Jesus is dealing with here is prayer that is grounded and rooted in faith. Some of you guys are sitting here dealing with strongholds in your lives because you don't believe that he can. You see, the man came up to Jesus and he was like, will you, if you can, if you can. And Jesus looks at him and says, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. Here's another thing. Some of you guys are sitting in some of your habitual sin. Some of you guys are sitting in profound depression. Some of you guys may be in a place where you're so riddled with anxiety and discontent. Wherever you might find yourself in your unfulfilled desires or your traumatic events where you're being robbed of the kind of joy, peace, contentment that belongs to you in Jesus, the reason why some of you are there is because you don't believe God can do anything about it. Oh, we know that up here, but do we have that down here? You see, there are serious places in your lives, if you're honest, and I want you to think about them right now, where the devil has a foothold in your life where you're saying things like, I will never be free from blank. There are some areas in your life right now where you really, if you are honest with your heart and with the Lord, you would say, I will never overcome blank. You, you, you look at your situation, that relationship, and you say, he's impossible. You look at that situation and relationship, you say, she's impossible. You look at your circumstance, you say, this circumstance, God, is impossible. Reconciliation, are you kidding me? That's impossible. Healing in that area of my life, in my physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being, God, that's impossible. And so what, what we see here in the text is the thing that was keeping them from that was the impossible. And hit Jesus steps on the scene, he says, I'm the God of the impossible. David and Emily have been sharing with you guys as they've been with the Malayali people. And they've been dealing with a lot of challenges and struggles as they are now presenting the gospel. And it's going to be a three-month um, task for them. They're going to start from creation and then go into fall and then the rest, uh, redemption and then restoration. And so they're starting at creation. And as they have begun, you guys, we've been praying, amen? We've been praying. Well, I just want you to hear some of the ways in which the power of prayer moves against the strongholds. Again, these are the Malayali people. So they are blind, and they're blinded by the devil. They have all of these animistic, kind of mystical kind of ideas and concepts about good and evil. And he sent me a text, and he said, Here's one testimony, Ray, as you guys have been praying. Number one, they normally, with the women, when they're on their period, they don't allow for the women to stay. They, they put them in a hut and have them stay in a hut for a week. That's a little rough. That's a little rough. Uh, some, some of you ladies are like, what? You about to go, ooh, what are you? So, in a hut. 
He said one of the testimonies was the fact that once we said we're going to start teaching you God's truth, there was no resistance to having the women come alongside with the men to hear God's truth even when they were on their period. That only happens because of prayer. He sent me a text later and he said, hey, Ray, here's another situation that we were dealing with. And it was like he sent me and, and the wifey a text. He was like, I'm about to go talk about the deception of good spirits and evil spirits amongst the Malayali people. And they have actually been killing women because they think that killing women will release the bad spirits from haunting them. And so he said, I'm about to go talk about that. And the moment I'm about to go talk about that, my computer died. And all of the things that I have actually written up are on that computer. So that's just, make sure you got backups, y'all. Backups. Dropbox. It works. And as... As he said, we couldn't, he said, the battery, when I left, was totally charged. I plugged it in. The computer was working fine. All of a sudden, when I'm talking about bad and evil spirits, I come back to the computer and it's dead. He was like, I got to go teach this in just a minute. Can you guys just start praying? And so we start praying, and we start praying, and we start praying. All of a sudden, he hits me back a couple hours later. Hey, dude, the computer's back on. We going at it. One of the other things that he shared with me is this. He said, when it comes to the Malayali people, they don't think critically. He said, if you call like a banana, if someone told you, call it blue, and everybody in the village believed now it's blue, then everybody will just accept that it's blue. They don't think ahead, he says. They don't schedule, and they don't make decisions, but in the present. And then he said this. The moment we started teaching God's truth, those two conditions vanished. He said, when we sit in front of them, they started jumping into critical thinking. He says, the bowls are being filled with the prayers of the saints, and there's going to be a harvest. I just, just gave me chills. Here's why. As I've been teaching through this series, where did I say that the devil has his hold over unbelievers? 2 Corinthians 4, 4, what? The mind. I hit him back with a text. I was like, that is demonstrating Satan is losing his freaking grip. Because the first thing is the mind. And the Spirit of God is releasing their minds. If you see this in Mark chapter 9 with this story, um, Jesus actually is, he marvels at their unbelief. They just, he marvels, it says, at their unbelief. And the reason he marvels at their unbelief is because now that we know post the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them. He knew who he was and they did not see who he was. But here's the reality, church. If you're in Christ today, you know who he is. You know his power. 
you know he's disarmed. So when you sit there discouraged about that addiction and you tell yourself it's impossible, when you sit there and you find yourself lingering in that bitterness and you say it's impossible, when you have that unrelenting sadness and you feel like it's impossible, that dark cloud, that sinful habit, that lack of contentment, that physical manifestation, nothing is impossible with God. And if you ever doubt it, just look at the cross. If you ever doubt it, just look at the resurrection. And here's what some of us need to pray even now, what this man prays. This is what I need to pray all the time. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. You know you can, but I don't know if you can. Honestly, God, I know I should know that you can, but I just don't know if you can. Help my unbelief. And allow God to meet you in that place. We need to start praying, knowing his power. We need to start praying, knowing that if we put our faith in him, he can release us from those areas of our lives. But here's the reality. He may choose to keep some of those things there like he did with Paul. But here's what I need to say to you. What if some of the areas in your life where Satan has a foothold, where that anger just is rooted, where that bitterness, where that worry, where that fear just constantly dominates, what if it's there simply because you haven't prayed and believed that God can do the impossible? You see, there are some things that are there because God wants them there. There are some things that are there because we don't have, because we have not, because we what? Ask not. And we don't step into faith and believe in the God of the impossible. Here's the reality. The text actually tells you, if you keep reading, it says Jesus did not do many miracles in that place. Come on now. It said Jesus didn't do many miracles in that place. And you want to know why? Because they didn't have faith to believe in the impossible. And that could be some of us even right now. And this is what I'm starting to realize. Like, I'm, I was telling... Um, uh, Pastor Jacob and Danielle, they came over last week, and I was telling them, I was like, I don't understand, well, I do understand, why all of a sudden now am I having the little thing like I told you with that story with me and the wifey, where I'm having dreams and God's like talking to me, and I'm like, this stuff ain't never happened to me before, and I've been doing this a long time, where I'm standing in front of my sink, and I told y'all, all of a sudden I had a vision in my mind, like, this is where the keys are, I'm like, whoa, whoa, this is where the what? And then I'm like, no, nah, that's crazy. That's crazy. I walk over, put my hand in the couch, and there's the keys. Oh, okay, this is getting creepy now. These types of things are happening. And here's, here's why. Here, uh, there's, here's, because I believe this is what's been going on in my heart when it comes to this text. He can't do a lot because I don't believe he can do a lot. He can't do far more abundantly than I can even ask or think because I know that here, but I don't believe that here. I'm too American. Come on now. Self-reliant, independent. I got this. Come on now, y'all ain't even with me. So what discipline deploys the armor? Prayer. Prayer. So now the question becomes is, is how? How are we to pray 
in a way that empowers us against, the, against Satan and demonic. If prayer undergirds the armor, then how do we step into an empowerment in prayer? Now you see back at verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6, it says, praying at all times in the spirit. And I want you to picture this as being in the middle of verse 18 because it, it is. With all prayer and supplication. So he gives two words there for prayer. First, he gives prayer. And that first word prayer is the general sense of just coming before God in various ways. The word supplication there is more specific, and it's a type of prayer. Namely, it's the prayer of request. Now, what I want you to notice is that you have at the very beginning of 18, he just uses the word prayer. So praying is connected to at all times and in the spirit. Okay? And then you have the second half of the verse, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication. So the keeping alert is connected with the supplication, and the prayer is connected with the all times in the spirit. So how would I break that down? How then are we to pray in a way that empowers us against Satan and the demonic? You stand by praying. This is the way you do it. You pray at all times in the spirit, and you stand by the second part of the verse, keeping alert in prayer with all perseverance. So I'll even bring that down more. In other words, the kind of prayer that keeps the devil out of the spaces in your life is watchful prayer. It's not just prayer there. There's two participles, praying at the beginning of verse 18 and keep alert in the middle of verse 18. And sandwiched in between is prayer and supplication. Now we see this connection of watchful, everybody say watchful, prayer in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And we talked about this last week. You see the connection with the evil one. I'm trying to connect it to the demonic so you can see it. Be sober-minded, be what, everyone? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Notice the devil is connected with us being watchful. So if you're going to not get devoured, you got to be what? Watchful. Resist him, he says, steadfast in the faith. So really, what you're watching for, uh, we saw that, right, verse 9, resist him in your faith. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Really, you're watching for how he's trying to rob you of faith. How he's trying to remove your belief in the God that you should be rooted in in Christ Jesus. Also, we see this call for watchfulness in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, okay? But it's not just any old kind of prayer. Being what? Watchful. You see the connection with watchful and prayer. And again, I don't have time to talk about this, but Thanksgiving is also a key component to that but maybe for another time. Mark chapter 14, verse 38. You see the combination. And this is coming from the Lord himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys remember that? And Jesus, what is he doing? He's praying. He's praying. And what does he go to the disciples and do? He makes a request. 
and he asks him to do two things. What? Watch and pray. Look at the purpose clause. That you may not enter into what? Temptation. When you think about the end of the Lord's prayer, what is the end of the Lord's prayer? Keep me from temptation and the what? Evil one. The devil is the one that comes alongside to try to tempt us. And what Jesus is telling is you got to learn how to watch and pray if you want to avoid his temptations. So the question is, is how do we watch? That was my question. How do we watch in prayer? How do we watch in prayer? Now say it like this. And uh, Kyle Strobel and John Cole, they really break this down well. The way you watch, and I want you guys to consider this because a lot of us don't do it, is daily in the presence of God with the Spirit as we engage God in prayer, we acknowledge the spaces where Satan can or has a place in our lives. It's daily, they call it the prayer of examine. So this is what it looks like watchful prayer, keeping alert prayer, is being aware of what is going on inside your heart where the devil can get a foothold. And a lot of times, church, we're moving so fast, so busy, so interrupted, so distracted that we don't have enough time to allow for the Holy Spirit to help us encounter him in those spaces so we can identify them and kick the devil out of them. You wonder why social media is what it is? That stuff is from the devil. Come on now. All of them ads and all of that stuff, your phone is constantly crying out to you. When that does that, I want you to just, that's the devil. That's, that's the devil, dog. Straight up, Satan, shut him up. Turn off the notifications. Close his mouth. He's doing anything he can to keep you from being alert. And this is what happens with, with watchful prayer that Paul is calling us to. First, this is what you do in watchful prayer. What am I believing that is untrue of who I am in Christ in my life. Second, in watchful prayer, you're watching for where, God, are the disordered desires that are going on in my heart and my life right now. Watchful prayer is, God, Holy Spirit, where are the sinful attitudes that are not only at the surface, but at the bottom, driving me Day after day. And then lastly, this. You're watching for God in the midst of it. Where do I see God as I examine these things? You see, what watchful prayer is, alert prayer, is taking time to survey each of Satan's arenas in your life and the places that you've given him, the tapas. Where's the anger? Where's the bitterness? Where's the discontent? Where's the unbelief? Where's the discouragement? Where's the distraction? Where's the fear? 
See, this is the type of prayer that trains the heart. This is discipleship. This is what trains the heart for watchfulness. Because it is from what's inside of us where everything else, what? Flows. You didn't just drop the plate and it break, and you'd be like, dang, I hate. That didn't just come out of nowhere. That didn't just come out of nowhere. But here's the question. When that does happen and the plate does drop, do we stop and pause and say, okay, Jesus, okay, ooh, that's not good. Spirit of God, I need you, please. See, and this is how you start to get into, and I'm going ahead of myself. He says, praying at all times, praying at all times. I've always wondered, man, how do you pray without ceasing? Is it just me? I'm like, dude, come on, man. That don't even make sense. That's not even practical. And that sounds a little exhausting. Or is it just me? I know I'm the pastor, supposed to be holy, always praying all the time, whatever. I struggle with prayer. Amen? Amen? Okay, all right, all right. But when you, do, when you pray in this way, you'll drop, you'll drop the plate and you'll pause. I'm not going to go past this. I'm not going to go past this. When that person cuts you off and you about ready to burn them, whoop, or you do burn them. Oh, Lord, wait, 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 wait. I don't watch that. When someone gives you a criticism and it takes you to a place of just deep, deep anxiety and discontent. You ever, where it just dominates your whole day? Where you can't sleep? You see, it's easy not to be watchful. Even in prayer, it's easy to just go to the list or the agenda. It's easy to just go to our desires and say, God, here's what I want. But see, watchfulness requires a patient attending to God's presence in the midst of what's going on in my own heart. And so one encouragement that I want to give you guys is at the end of your day, just take 20 minutes before you turn anything on. I know it's exhausting. I know you're tired. And just attend to each phase of your day. This is kind of what watchful prayer looks like. And just examine the day and ask yourself what happened and how you responded in just the various moments of the day. Think about the conversations you had. Think about the joys, the pains, the sorrows, the grief the worry, the anxiety, when you connected with this person, when you were sitting down and you felt bored and lonely, when you, all of the different things, when you were driving, when you were at the grocery store and, and, and you got frustrated that they didn't have the thing that you went to get to the grocery store. Like, just, just survey your whole day. And as you're surveying your day, just pay attention to the longings in your heart as you do that. Pay attention to what, 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 uh, Cause self the self-talk. What do you tell yourself throughout the day? I want you to survey the emotional reactions that you have. What grabbed your heart and held it? Because what these are is they're all glimpses into your soul. And a lot of times we don't take the time to see in the soul. 
And, and I like the analogy that they give. It's like when you're driving your car, right? You're driving your car and, you know, the little fixed mechanical stuff problems. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Those things. Dash alert, dash, dash alerts. Okay. All right. We all know what I'm saying. And you, ultimately, at that point, that's telling you something that's going on in the hood. Right? But if you don't take time to pay attention, we already know where that's going. Right? This is our lives. When the envy jumps out, that's that little flash on the dash that says something's not going right in the hood. You with me? And if you don't pay attention to that, and you don't invite the Holy Spirit in that to fix that, you're going to break down. It's coming. And so, for example, watchful prayer is when I'm just paying attention to my disordered desires. I went online at at 10 a.m. and I bought something I didn't need. Why did I do that, Lord? You know what? Right now, I want to escape. I bought that because really, there's something underneath, and I'm trying to escape. And that's why I bought that. I didn't need it. It's, it's going into saying, man, I really enjoyed the way that woman encouraged me. God, when she gave me that encouragement, I felt alive. But that's not my wife. Why did I feel alive when that woman talked to me that way? There's something going on, God, in my heart right now. Holy Spirit, will you just please meet me in this place right now? Another child sick again. Another child sick again. Parents, you with me? Everybody likes to share. That's the one time I don't want y'all to share. And then you just start to feel like, man, God, dang, do you even care that I'm struggling down here? Like, dude, give a brother a break. You ever feel like that? When that happens, God, I felt that way today when my wife called me and told me number three is sick. That sinful attitude when that person told me, that they were semi-retired and I'm still living check to check and I'm 55 years old. I'm not 55 years old. Not that old. Not yet. Not yet. There's nothing wrong with being 55. Uncle, I love you. Uncle. Uncle. Brother Wisdom. And God, when, when that person came, I couldn't celebrate and enjoy the fact that they're semi-retired. I couldn't do it because I got, I, I envied because I wish I could be where he or she is right now. God, I just saw that. I saw that come out of me. I'm modeling this for you. Are you, are you following me? I'm modeling me sitting down with the Lord going through my day and just being watchful of the areas where the devil can, boop, he can park, woo, and get in. And then also, the God moments. When you sit down, don't just think about the negative things. 
Think about the God moments. Like when I was sitting in my computer this morning and I was like, God, this computer search thing is not working. I'm trying to find a sermon. The Living Way website doesn't have the descriptions no more, so I can't search sermons that I did in the past. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting frustrated. This computer is dumb. The Living Way website is dumb. Everybody's dumb. God, please, please, will you help me find that area that I studied on your spirit? Boop. 30 seconds later, I typed something in weird. I don't know how I did it. Boop, 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 it came up. Look at God. Woo, woo. I'm not just sitting here by myself. Oh, no. When I, when I, when I just, when that lady came and she asked me, hey, can you grab that? And I just, with a generous heart, said, sure, I'll get that for you. I know you're not tall enough to get it. Man, the Spirit of God is making me a generous person. Just surveying those places where God is meeting you, where the Spirit of God is changing you, where, where He is showing up. Because then you can't be thankful. God shows up in your life every day more than you realize. And that will cultivate a lifestyle and heart of thanksgiving. You will realize how much more blessed than you could ever imagine if you just pause and watch him. He's moving. He's working. He's pouring good stuff. And then what you do is, after you've kind of surveyed, then you just invite God into it. Lord, you see that envy? I don't know why I envy that way, Lord. Will you help me in that place of envy right now? God, right now, I just don't feel a lot of peace. My dating life has been a fiasco. The online things have been a fiasco. And I'm just so discontent with being single right now. Will you just meet me in my loneliness? God, I feel unrecognized and unseen. I feel like I work hard for everybody else and, and nobody sees my effort and energy. God, will you help me to know right now that you see me? And will you help my heart to allow for that to be what is most valuable to me more than anything else? This is watchful prayer. And what Paul says is this, because doing that sometimes can get a little depressing. But I like the way he says in verse 18, praying at all times, what's that next phrase? In the spirit. Well, the question is, is how do you pray in the spirit? Romans chapter 8 really helps us to understand what that means. In verse 15, he says, For we do not conceive the spirit, receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So watchful praying should be praying that is in the spirit. 
And the first thing that Paul says in verse 15 of Romans chapter 8 is that to be in the Spirit is to cry out, Abba, Father. So here's what that means. When you're praying in watchful prayer, the reality of being in the Spirit is the fact that God is near to you as your Father. Abba means daddy. Abba means, I like the way Keller said it, is to have the neck. You know your kids? Kids like to hang on daddy's neck. I think about my daughters. And every one of them, they will grab me around my neck. Remember Mariah, when she was in high school, one time she was at a church event and I showed up later and she ran all the way across the parking lot. And just grabbed me by the neck. Just said, hey, daddy, so glad to see you. Glad you're here. When Trinity, when she grabs me, she grabbed me. Okay, dada, even now at 20 years old. And here's the reality. Sometimes when we bring our disordered desires in prayer before the Lord, Sometimes we don't even bring them before the Lord because we think we got to go before the Lord all buttoned up. So we don't bring our disordered desires. We don't bring our worries and concerns. We don't bring those sinful areas of our heart that we know are there. But here's the reality. Here's what empowers you to be able to do that. You got to be in the spirit. What I mean by that is in the spirit of the reality that the spirit identifies with you that God always sees you no matter where you are in Jesus just as one of his own. Here's my girls. Here's the reality. All of them, when they're coming up and hugging me, is there disorder in their lives? Are there things I want different? Yep, yep, yep. Hey, 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 stop it. Right? Is, is, Is there sinful attitudes in their hearts? Are there issues that that, that need to get corrected. But does that ever keep them from still from me being Abba to them? No. So they can be free to be all of the things that they are, good and not so good, in the presence of God, in the presence of Dad, and know that they're always going to have Abba. Whenever you, if you are in Jesus... Whenever you go before the throne of grace, I don't care how bad you've been, how wrong you've been, how sideways you're thinking, you're acting, you're feeling, how discontent, disarrayed, discouraged, disordered you are, you are always to God, Abba. So praying in the Spirit is knowing you always have his neck. No matter how broken and jacked up you are. Second way to pray in the Spirit is also in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons. You see, our tendency, when traumatic events come into our lives, is to think, I must not belong to God with all of this suffering and pain that's being into my life. Why would God allow for this to happen to me? 
Some of us, when we're in our bad places, the last thing we think, because we know better, we're not acting like a son, is to think that we're not a son. And so our tendency, especially in watchful prayer, if we're going to do this, our tendency is to question and doubt the fact that we actually still belong as sons. I've been memorizing Ephesians chapter 1 because I need to get this stuff in me. I need to get this stuff in me. Because in so many ways, I don't act like a son. But when I hear verse 3, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. What? In love, he predestined Before I did anything good or evil, I already was his. Before there was even a star in the sky, I was chosen by him. Before I did anything sideways or backwards, I was already a son. And he did it to himself according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the purpose of his will. These things belong to us in Jesus no matter where you are. So I can go into prayer letting these things root me so then I can be honest with God. This is where I am, Lord. And I don't have to question that he's still, even in the midst of that, not singing over me. And then lastly, to pray in the Spirit is in chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we are, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's what's true of you, even though you may not believe it. If you're in Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you, which means at the bottom, you desire his will above all things. I know sometimes you don't feel like you do. I know sometimes you don't walk in it like you do. But the Spirit of God that is in you yearns for the will of God. This is his desire, and it's your desire. And this is what happens. Because that is your desire deep down, The Holy Spirit reaches down and he takes those desires that are in you and he pulls them up out, all of the groans that are in you, and he takes them 
And then he brings them before the Father and he gives them language. When you don't know how to pray about that bitterness, when you don't know how to pray about that envy, when you don't know how to pray about that worry, when you don't know how to step out of that addiction, you know you desire to be right where God would have you be in those places of anger. And the Spirit of God knows that even better than you. And he takes that desire, that groan. Any groaners in here? Are you groaning for some things? And he takes those groans. And he gives language to the Father. Because he knows the will of the Father for you in those things. So God is always answering your prayers. Oops. I don't think you heard me. He is always answering your prayers because God always answers God. So the reason I told you this is that's what it means to pray in the spirit. So you need to go before God in that reality. Then you are free in that moment to just release to him everything that's true that's going on in your heart. All of the bad stuff, all of the good stuff, and everything in between because you're rooted by the Spirit in Abba, in sonship, and in a groaning that is far beyond what you and your own self can utter. Martin Luther said, if Christ is put aside and I look only at myself, then I am done for. And that's when you can step into Psalm 139. Where David says, search me, O God. This is a heart of examine, a prayer of examine. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's a prayer of watchfulness. Now as I close, there are some of you maybe that have a problem or challenge with prayer. If we're honest, maybe for some of us prayer just doesn't make sense. Maybe for some of us, if you're like me, prayer is boring. Maybe prayer is something you avoid. I mean, you're telling me up here, Pastor Ray, I got to pray. I want to be released from these strongholds in my life. And some of these things don't come out but by prayer and fasting. But if I'm honest, prayer is hard. I want you to try something new. In your prayer life. I want you to tell God that. I want that to be the first thing. That you pray. I want you to accept the part of prayer. That the difficulty of prayer. Is in every single one of us. Because he would not give us his Holy Spirit. If that wasn't the case. The Spirit has to take our groans. 
If you fall asleep, take that before the Lord and tell him, God, I just need to talk to you about me sleeping. Pastors fall asleep too. My wife got mad at me last week for that. We was praying. We was praying. I was the disciples, boy. She was Jesus. She was Jesus. Pray. Hey, 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 hey. Dang, that's the loudest I heard. Simmer down, buddy. We worked it out. We worked it out. Why can't you watch and pray? I was knocked out. But guess what? That that could that could have rattled me for a, a minute. Like, wow, what's wrong with me? Dang, I fall asleep when I pray. I'm supposed to be a pastor. I've been walking with you, Lord, for all these years, and I fall asleep and pray. You know what kept me from guilt and condemnation in that moment? I still have his neck. I'm still his son. And he knows my heart deep down. I don't want to fall asleep. I'm just weak. And some of you may feel like you're bad at prayer. Others may see other people and think that they're great at prayer. And so some of you engage prayer from a point of performance or just guilt because you know it's something you should be doing. I want you to say, I want you to hear what Carl Strobel writes. Prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. Prayer is not a place to perform. It's a place to be present. Prayer is not a place to be right. It's a place to be known. Prayer is not a place to prove your worth. It's a place to receive worth and offer yourself in truth. So when you're praying and your mind wanders to finances, and you were supposed to be praying for somebody at the church, or your loneliness... You're supposed to be praying about something else. Let those be a moment where instead of you feeling like I'm failing right now in prayer, let those be a moment where you bring even those things to the Lord that caused your mind to wander. Because even in that, the Spirit is working. Because what He's doing is he's bringing up areas in your life that are treasures that ought not to be treasures. And so even when your mind wanders, that's a blessing and a gift. Bring God into the wandering. God, my mind just went to my job situation. God, clearly, because my mind wandered there, I just haven't surrendered it to you. God, will you please meet me in this place of discontentment God, my mind just stays on my relationship. And I just think, Lord, it's impossible that that can be repaired. That you can't repair my relationship, Lord. God, I'm anxious and I'm worried. I feel guilty. 
Can you just meet me here? So what discipline deploys the armor? Watchful prayer. And how do you pray in this way? You pray at all times in the spirit. In other words, you keep alert in prayer. Satan doesn't want you to stop in your life right now and watch. Now, I just want to say this lastly. Some of you right now are in bondage because you don't believe that God can do the impossible. And I want to encourage you right now. God can do the impossible. Pray into your impossible, believing that fully and entrusting to it. He may not answer it in the way that you want, but the way you want may not be answered because you believe that God is impossible to do anything about it. And secondarily, God is calling some of you guys to take time to watch, to slow down, to pause and identify the taposes where Satan has a foothold. And that's the reason why others of you are in bondage. Because you haven't taken enough time to invite the Holy Spirit into places that have you in bondage that you don't realize that Satan has a foothold. So I want to invite you into that. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to invite you into those two things. And I'm serious. Right now, right now, right now, right now, there can be deliverance that starts to pop off. But the devil wants you to be right now distracted, tired, ready to leave, whatever right now. And even if you find yourself there, bring the Spirit of God to that right now. Lord, right now, I don't, I'm, I'm halfway here. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, number one, I want you to bring your impossible before the Lord. I want you to bring those places that you, and you can ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, I know I think it here, but what areas in my heart do I think it here when it comes to impossible? And I want you to pray this prayer, the same prayer that that man prayed, help my unbelief. I want you to just cry out to the Lord, say, God, help my unbelief. And then secondarily, I want you to pause. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, will you identify those places where the devil has his hold maybe, and I need to watch What do I need to see that I'm not seeing in my heart? Let's take a few moments to do that. Do that before the Lord. And then we'll take communion together.